Welcome, everyone, to episode 26 of the Dream Team Podcast. I am your host, as always, Jake Schultz, back on the internet, joined by Zolfi Shake. What's up, what's up? And Spencer Kloss. How's it going? Excited to talk some ball? Yeah, do we want to talk basketball or do we want to talk baseball? Because the world of Toronto right now is all on Otani watch. Uh, at the time of this recording, looking like uh, he's flying in the air towards Toronto, if all the reports are yeah. correct. That flight that was supposedly delayed should be in the air now. And we still don't know if he's on it or not, but you have to assume that the second that flight lands and people start coming out, there's going to be people watching every single person leave that plane. You know who's actually going to be the one watching it is CP24. Who's making the call? Who's telling CP24 that this is Kawhi 2.0 and that they can yeah. have the chance to start all over again? You know what? It's crazy. I was thinking about that too. Like whoever does break this, like the first person to get it out, if it's Passin or Morosi or whatever, whoever, any of these guys, they're, the, the Twitter engagement is going to be through the roof. It's going to be like an all-time tweet. It's going to be crazy. I, I'm putting my bold prediction that it's going to be Blake Murphy on the Raptor show that breaks it. That would be fantastic, now, wouldn't it? It'd be it would be so Toronto for not baseball person to do it. Like you know how Schefter randomly tweets out a draft pick or somebody's doing something in basketball. Like imagine it's just like the the least baseball person figures it out first or like says something. Murphy covers baseball. He does uh, Blue Jays talk on Sportsnet. Oh yeah, that's true. I guess he does. He has Blue Jays with Sportsnet as well. I kind of forgot about that because he's so in Raptors mode. Because this guy's done this guy's done everything. He's done Leafs in the past too before. He's literally at Mr. Everything for that. But uh, is, is Otani going to sign? Can we date ourselves? Is, is it happening? Yes. Uh, Spencer, I, I want to be with you, but I, I'm hurt. I'm a hurt fan. We've been through this before. Toronto is so often used as a leveraging tool for the price to go up. I wouldn't be surprised if his agent just used Toronto as a narrative to get the price up from the Dodgers. like Because Toronto is a team that always, in any sport, has to overpay for stars because they don't get them any other way. So it's a really good bargaining chip. So... The pessimist in me that's been hurt many times by Toronto sports will say I don't I'm still doubtful, but I am leaning on the side of I think it's gonna happen. I'm like sixty forty though. We just have to get Kikuchi a massive banner hung up in Rogers Arena if that happens. I'm gonna go on the side of yes. I, I think it's happening. I, there's too much to it, and maybe it's the Kawhi Leonard in me that is like the vindication of it finally happening in a different sport in a different way. But uh this is basically like prime LeBron. Just taking his talents yeah. to the north, basically. This is Miami Heat LeBron, literally in the midst of those like three or four MVPs or whatever it was, showing up in Toronto and saying, I'll play here. Exactly. Exciting times in Toronto, not necessarily in basketball, but let's not talk about the Raptors today. Let's talk about the in-season tournaments. This has been going on all week long. We put our brackets out on social media. Uh, so far, all three of us, well, me a bit better than the other two, uh, Spencer and Zulfi had a bit of a, a fun time with their picks. Zulfi, I'm going to come to you because you are, as the comment went on the tweet, Zulfi knows ball and immediately went over seven, eight on the bracket. Like it's literally just an imperfect bracket. Okay. Okay. You know what? I wanted <laughs> to be, I, I, it's cause I made my picks all for the dumbest reasons. I was like, oh, the Celtics are really good offensively and defensively. Maybe they can keep up with the Pacers. And I'll get back to the Pacers in a second. I was like, you know what? The Knicks are a fun team. The NBA is going to want the Knicks to move on in this tournament. Let's throw the Knicks in there. Why the hell not? Kings, we all love the Kings. They're a fun squad. Did not seem to really uh, consider the fact that they're just so small compared to the Pelicans that it's going to play a problem. That's why the Kings lost the Pelicans earlier. I was like, you know what? Screw it. The Kings can move on. And I was like, KD and the Suns are playing hot. They've been well. And I just totally dismissed the fact that in the regular season, at least, and when Kevin Durant doesn't have the God Squad Warriors, LeBron usually beats Kevin Durant. And I didn't take that into consideration because I wanted to have fun with my bracket. So I made some really stupid decisions for some really stupid reasons. And that's why I went 0-4. And, and I got to admit that. But like I said, I picked the Pacers and the Lakers to win yesterday. And they did. So I'll take some kind of sauce in that. And the fact that I've been rooting the Pacers on all year. So at least I can't be called a bandwagon. Spencer? Well, um, yeah, I also <laughs> I also didn't put much thought in my bracket. I kind of just picked it, and I just picked one team that I thought was going to, like, want it, and I picked the wrong team, obviously. The Indiana Pacers are obviously the team that, that wants it the most, and they've been showing that. And, um, man, I just – I honestly thought the Celtics were going to blow them out. So I just – I might know the least ball, actually, still. Um, but it's all right. We move on. 
I think you're, I think your thinking was right though. Like you wanted to pick the Celtics because they wanted it the most. And what we've learned and what I wanted to get back to with the Pacers is it's very clear that they want it the most. The Pacers seem to really care about this more than any other team other than maybe LeBron James because he wants extra money. God knows why. LeBron's a billionaire. But the Pacers care more than any other team, and it's pretty awesome to see. Let's move back to Monday. We'll go through this sequentially because we haven't had time to talk about this. So the Celtics, who Spencer picked as his team to win the tournament – didn't no, I picked the Kings, sorry. Oh, who Celtics took the Celtics? The finals, though. No one took the Celtics. I also took the Celtics to the finals. Um, they came out, had a very nice back-and-forth game with the Pacers. Pacers just pulled away, though, in the end of the game. That home court advantage, which we'll get to a little bit later, as the games yesterday were on neutral ground, was buzzing for Indiana. You could tell how much it meant for their fans, and it was probably, arguably, like one of their biggest wins in their franchise. Uh, so they win 122-112, knock out the Celtics out of the tournament. Joe Mazzulla, a little sad boy because he was the one that clearly wanted the most on that team. We were robbed of our Celtics and Bucks possible Eastern Conference Finals preview in this tournament, and the Pacers moved on. Um, how's everyone feeling about the Celtics? How's everyone feeling about that game? Is it a, just kind of a, it is what it is move on situation because they were missing a couple pieces. Porzingis wasn't playing obviously. And they just, they looked good, but uh, the Pacers just blew them out of the water. Like what, what happened that game? I, sorry, Spencer, go ahead. No, I just think they need Porzingis badly. I think we all kind of said that coming into the season, they gave up a lot of depth to add like that missing piece, which Porzingis obviously is. And um, when they're missing him, they just, they just lack the interior presence that he brings. And you can also space the floor really well. Like when they're spacing out there with Porzingis is crazy considering he's, you know, over seven feet. So I think they're just missing him. I think we probably all think that. Yeah. I think I'm with Spencer. I wouldn't buy too much stock into that one game. Uh, you, the Pacers are the number one offense for a reason. They run it down your throat, and they're really high-powered. And the Celtics, for the most part, can keep up with that. But it was the, one of those things, like uh, Spencer said, without Porzingis being there, you le- lose that element. And I think more importantly, you lose it on the defensive end. Like, Porzingis is their biggest interior presence. They don't really have a stout big man, like, center outside of that. Like, Al Horford's obviously a lot order, older, and he doesn't have that same presence as Porzingis. And you saw it matter in that game against the Pacers. So I think it's hard to judge them without their full squad, but also the Pacers are such a prolific offense that, like, if you are not going at 100% and making pretty much every basket that you can, you're probably going to find yourself down against that team at certain points. And it was a pretty close game, all things considered, for the most part, and it took a lot of really big Halliburton shots. So for a game that close, I wouldn't take too much stock in the Celtics out of it. The only thing I'll put into stock in the Celtics is Drew Holiday, and I think that he's been struggling a little bit since he came back from his injury, especially offensively. It doesn't look like he really has his legs underneath him, and it'll take a bit for him to get back, but that could be a little bit concerning for the Celtics, considering how much they gave up to get him. I would be a little bit more concerned about him there. But yeah, I'm not reading too, too much into this game. Like At the end of the day, the Celtics, we all know, are a top three team in the league and they're going to be there at the end of the season so it was nice to see Joe Mazzulla kind of get his after being so uh, let's say up front with the in-season tournaments all throughout the the group playing style so it's kind of nice to see that there and you know what as Raptors fans on this podcast we'll all be thankful to see the Celtics lose every once in a while we'll get to the Pacers when we get to the semifinals because the two Games pretty much were synonymous with each other of what we saw from those teams. So we'll get to the Kings losing to the Pelicans, 127-117. Uh, Kings were seen as a possible favorite to go all the way to the finals. Like Spencer said, picked them to go to the finals. And really just from the get-go, just didn't really look like they had it in them, did they? I think it yeah, was... stunk it up. Yeah, it's just they kind of didn't have the gas for it. But again, it... styles make fights right like that was one of the things the pelicans are just not a good matchup for this king's team currently this king's team is a lot smaller one of their biggest presence out there that's routinely out there is demontis sabonis who's not known for being like this brooding interior presence that like strikes fear into other teams you have another you have zion williamson and Jonas valanciunas on the other side running rough shot at you the entire time and brandon ingram's like basically a seven footer as well so you have three guys who have a ton of height that the kings just don't necessarily match up against and it was almost identical to the last time they played in the regular season when the Kings lost as well. So it was one of those things. I remember before the game when we were talking in our group chat, I mentioned it as well. Like the size is probably going to be a concern, 
But I think we all expected the Kings, kind of like the Pacers, to just want it more. They were going to be scrappier. They are going to give a crap more than the other team. And you're going to see De'Aaron Fox and Mondes Sabonis kind of elevate themselves, which you're kind of hoping to finally see them do. They made it to the point where they're a respectable team. But now come playoff time, this year especially, you're going to be like, all right, are you guys able to elevate your games? That's the next step of this whole superstardom trajectory of this duo because now they made it into the postseason. Now you're looking at them as some a team that can compete with the rest of them. What's next? You hoped that was going to happen in this game, and it just clearly didn't, which is like now leaving us with more questions. Yeah, I remember you saying in the group chat, like the size thing, and I didn't even take that into account. I was like, gosh. But um, my Brack was already in. Uh, I, I just kind of looked, I remember just looking at the Pelicans away record and putting way too much stock into it, but yeah, they just kind of, they just kind of dominated. Um, they went on one run. I can't remember if it was in the second or third quarter. Cause I remember the Kings were up early and then the, the Pelicans just went on one run and they, they never looked back. So that was a bad call for sure. The, the Kings, I don't know. They might, they might just lack the kind of the size to compete in the playoffs, to be honest. I think that's, was a bit of an eye opener for sure. Yeah, I haven't watched too much Kings this year, but it feels like they are lacking a little bit of depth with size. And I couldn't, I wouldn't be shocked to see them be buyers at the trade deadline. I'd like, I, I certainly think that they're going to, whether it be for another star player, whether it be for more size, maybe Pascal Siakam. Maybe. I, I know Dan was saying earlier on one of our early episodes of the podcast that he's like, oh, I don't necessarily know if Sabonis and Siakam work together. And that, that is a valid concern, but. I think this team, to compare with what you're saying, Zulfi, does need to kind of move, prove that they can be there at that next step and the next level. And this was kind of their chance to do that. They got blown out in the first game and phased out early. So I, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch the Kings throughout the rest of the season because obviously they've kind of semi-disappointed to start the season. They had a mm-hmm. little bit of a rough stretch there when, when De'Aaron Fox was hurt. Fox came back. Looked a little bit better since then. But yeah, they, they just don't really look like that team of last year. They don't have that buzz from last year. I think part no. of it is also that there's other teams that do have that buzz now. You have obviously the Thunder, and then you have the Magic in the East. So technically their shine has been taken by another team. It's hard to be the darling two years in a row. But to your point, Jake, like coming out of this tournament, I'm not sure if we need to like sound the alarms, but there is reason for a bit of concern to be like, can this Kings take even like one step forward from last season. We don't know that, especially if it's turning out that their success might just be matchup dependent. If they get, uh, if they face the Pelicans in the playoffs again in a, in a first round series, they might get bounced out, even if they are the higher seed, just because of the way the matchups go. So maybe they do need to make a move. If they had done well in this tournament, maybe the front office was like, you know what, let's see how this playoffs goes. We just finally made the playoffs again last year. Maybe we see how this team does and can they grow. But after this tournament, I wouldn't be surprised to your point, Jake, that the uh, front office is like, all right, uh, we are getting a little stagnant. This this in-season tournament kind of proved it. We need something to kind of put us over the odds. It's almost like I forgot, too, that last year during the first round against the Warriors, there's a reason Kevon Looney was just grabbing every yeah. single rebound their way. It's because they just don't have size. And it was a valid concern that they just kind of ignored going into this season. So, yeah, I, I think this is kind of eye-opening. As weird as it sounds to say, like, the in-season tournament is, like, kind of a test for these teams because you look at some of the teams that came in here it is really a test for some of the smaller teams versus the bigger giants and the paces are clearly succeeding but then the canes came in and it was their chance to show up and they just fizzled straight out another team that fizzled straight out the new york knicks i don't want to spend too much time on this this is just kind of what the knicks have been this year they've been very up and down when they're on they're on when they're off they're off put up 122 points but that was mostly in garbage time Box 146 points, looking like killers, <clears throat> did not carry on to the next game. We'll talk about the Lakers and Suns, though, because this was the game that a lot of people had circled, Zulfi especially. LeBron versus Kevin Durant, we don't often see those two lock up as much anymore. And to see that happen in an elimination winner-take-all game, pretty fun to see there. Uh, Lakers, controversially, sneaking out a win there towards the end. Uh, Austin Rivers with a huge three-point shot. And the Lakers moved on. Zulfi, what are, what are the Suns going to do? It's, I I don't know. The problem is, is they haven't been full strength. And this is the story of Kevin Durant's career since leaving the Warriors. When he has full strength squads with like these like massive stars that he like teams up with, they're good. The The Brooklyn Nets with James Harden and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant is one of the biggest what ifs in NBA history. Because when they played, they lost, I think like, I don't know, like four games or something when all three of them were there. So I like 22 th- games though. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know the sample size isn't a lot, but like percentages, if we're going off of that, like that's why I think it's the biggest what if. And even without uh, them full strength, James Harden and Kyrie Irving got hurt 
And they went to a game seven against the Bucks. And if Kevin Durant's shoe size was one size smaller, they probably move on, beat the Bucks, and that Bucks won the championship like that year or went to the I can't remember what I think that's the year the Bucks won. So like how, what a big what if. Like I think that team at full strength would have been insane. And I think this Phoenix Suns team, for me, at least until I see them full strength, I, I can't judge it. It's so annoying because there's so many teams in the NBA right now where you're like, you can't get an opinion on. You have to wait and judge. And God knows we think that about the Raptors. You have to wait and see. But the Suns, I think, are the same. Like until they're full strength and I see how Bradley Beal works. I think I, I don't know what to think about this team because with Kevin Durant and just Devin Booker, they were on a seven-game winning streak until the Raptors snapped it. So they, they can get hot and they can be a really good team. My biggest takeaway from the Suns is actually a positive one is that I've learned Devin Booker is their point guard. He is going to be their point guard. I know coming into the season, they said that Bradley Beal was going to be playing point guard, but no, it's very clear. Devin Booker is really good at playing a point guard while also still getting his as a scorer. Let Bradley Beal be the two guard, let him shoot, run off ball, do all that stuff. I think that's the main thing I've learned here. So I'm not I'm not too concerned, but it's just one of those wait and see things. Is Bradley Beal actually like is he gonna play anytime soon or that's what I was gonna say he's back at practice and he was a full participant, but he's not expected to play this weekend. I don't know, man. This was a concern with Beal last year, and it was something we brought up when Beal got traded was well, is his back gonna hold out? Because it's been an issue. I- I'm concerned. Yeah. I, I he's played what, three games this year and God knows I ranted about that when about my fantasy team still <laughs> sitting on my my bench, but <laughs> it, it it is a concern. Like like we can't not be concerned at this point. It's been over twenty games into the season. We just don't know what the trio looks like, and who knows? Beal could come back and could immediately make a negative impact as well, right? Yeah. Like we don't know that it, there's so many different variables that could happen with this. And I want to see Beal play. I want to see the three of them play together because they're going to be a fun team when they're all healthy, but that health is going to be a number one question mark. And it showed here because they could have used his shooting on a night where really it was Kevin Durant, Booker, and not too many other people playing. Uh, side note, Bull Bull, do you remember all the hype that Bull Bull had going into the offseason when the Suns signed him? Oh my God, he's finally going to get all this playing time. And he's just been sitting on a bench doing literally nothing the entire time. Oh, Bull Bull. I, do we have, do we believe in Bull Bull? Like, no. I don't know. Like, no. <laughs> I did the whole offseason argument about, like, it, why is Bull Bull seen differently than Wembanyama, I think was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. But clearly, there's a contingent of people who thinks Bull Bull can be that guy as well. So, I don't know. Like, the whole Bull Bull thing has always been funny, but I'm with you, Jake. Like, are, are, you shouldn't be surprised that he's staying on the bench. He's just, he clearly hasn't shown that he has the capacity to play at an NBA level consistently. We spent almost like 25 minutes talking about Bobo going to the Suns in the offseason. We were desperate to make it to the the regular season for Yeah, we need a content, man. That's what we do. To Vegas we go with the semifinals. Last night we had a doubleheader down in Vegas. The first game, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, 2 o'clock for those Vegas crowd. And it certainly felt like it with the atmosphere the Indianapolis Pacers versus the Milwaukee Bucks. The Pacers upsetting the Bucks 128 to 119 off the back of Tyrese Halliburton. And look, I, I said this last podcast, okay? I said the Pacers are good. I said a lot of it is on the back of Tyrese Halliburton. I'm, I'm going to continue to just slowly retract my statements a little bit more as it goes on through the season. They're so much fun, man. It's kind of insane how much fun this team is to watch. And it's not even just Halliburton. It's the pieces around him, whether it be Buddy Heald, whether it be Miles Turner, who, good God, us leaving him out of the top five of our draft for centers is just, not even top five, the entire draft was just absolutely asinine by all of us. Obi Toppin seems to be just a perfect fit on that team as well. Bruce Brown, Andrew Neesmith, Bennett Matherin, like these just the, the guy, the entire list is just ridiculous. And Tyrese Halliburton is continuing to be one of the biggest up-and-coming stars rising in the league. His shot is terrible. It looks like every single coach in like <laughs> high school was like, no, don't shoot like that. But he continues to do it, and it looks so bad, but it goes in every single time. It is the craziest-looking shot. I saw someone on Twitter say, how does a guy with this much attention have literally no superstar aura to him when he was shooting his three-point <laughs> to ice the game? Because it's just a terrible-looking shot before he hits that game time. I I'm I, I'm eating my words a little bit on the Pacers, and you know what? It's okay. It's okay. They're a fun team to watch. I don't think that they're really going to be contending for everything because that defense is still an issue and will continue to be an issue throughout the season. I'm sure that they're going to try to add some defensive power at the deadline. But 
hey, man, Pacers are fun. They're good, and I think uh, they should be up there as the favorites for the tournament, maybe, to see winning. They just who's, – who's better than them right now? I know the Lakers – LeBron has been technically, like, ridiculous – but who has been the better overall team? I, I struggle to say it's been anyone but the Pacers. Is there? They gotta. We gotta know if they're favorites or not yet, right? They are underdogs. Yeah, that makes sense. Vegas is technically closer to Los Angeles. You have the Lakers, bigger market. You technically have a quote unquote better assortment of players with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. But like, I I don't care. I'll get to our, my prediction later towards the end of this. But like. The Pacers, I think, have as good of a shot as any team to beat this Lakers team because, like you said, all the things you said, Jake, the Pacers are fun, and they just care more. They want this more. Tyrese Halliburton instead of coming in, like, I've been a loser my whole career. I haven't accomplished anything with the Pacers and, like, with Sacramento before that. And I think we can all agree, Tyrese Halliburton, you are not a loser. You are basically on the verge of superstardom. You are freaking awesome. 25 points, 15-plus assists, zero turnovers. Only person to do it multiple times is Tyrese Halliburton. He's done it three times. Everybody else in the NBA who's done it has done it once. Like, this guy is doing things that we haven't seen from a point guard before. And I think, like, it's time to say, like, he's, I, I would say currently, like, in t- t- today, he's the best point guard in the NBA. Like, Steph Curry and them, those guys are still up there. We can debate it, like, in terms of for the season. But as of right now, today, like, two, 20 games in, I would say Tyrese Halliburton's been the best point guard. He's just, he is creating opportunities for his teammates that we just don't see. Charles Barkley said it last night, or Stephen A., I can't remember which one, on that weird uh, like DC-Marvel like collab <laughs> Literally broadcast. multiverse. Yeah, uh, that he's getting people open the way Magic Johnson would get people open, the way Steve Nash would get people open. Like You don't see that often. And just watching him make passes and watching him create is a treat. He's a special, special point guard. And I think the ISC has been the most perfect thing for his stock to rise. Because we're, we're like... For a player to like basically have his stock rise to like MVP type level in December just is unheard of before this. So I think the IC is awesome. I think the Pacers are awesome. And you're right, Jake. They're they're the most fun team in the league. Are you counting uh, Luca as a point guard? Yeah, and I would still say like just purely the point guard part of being a point guard <laughs> today. The guy's still playing. Like I'm counting the IST, and I know that's biased because only certain teams make it. But like 20 games into the season, I'm saying how he's the best point guard. There's certainly a case for it. Yeah, there's certainly a case for it. I'm gonna I'm gonna take your stat lines, Zolfi. I'm gonna one up it. Let's do both games, shall we? The Milwaukee and Boston games. 53 points, 28 assists, 17 rebounds. His first triple double was in that game against Boston, and zero turnovers across both games. Like he's making the right plays every single time, and he's not forcing shots except for his one shot where he had like a lot. He's like, "We let's shoot this," and it was just like an (laughs) air ball. And he's like, "Oh, okay," but he's genuinely not forcing shots. He has just been an absolute baller, and uh, I, I I was not really as familiar with his game because I knew he was yeah, you're good. The, you're the Shaq meme right I'm now. I'm literally Shaq right now, and like I'm sorry, I t- I'm, I'm I'm sorry, I was not familiar with your game, and I just I wasn't. I've been a hater of the Pacers for a while now, and I don't know why because I look like an idiot doing it. They're they're a lot of fun. I, I'm having a lot of fun watching them play. TJ McConnell. I, whew, I might have to make my own mixtape of him because he might be the best backup point guard in the league <laughs> right now. I, I, I just genuinely, it's crazy. Every time he goes in, he's just like, all right, I'll take it from here. And he's just playing, making dog play after dog play. They're I'm a fun team, to, man. I'm curious to know if, what you guys think. Like, do you think the Pacers should ride this wave? Like kind of like the Kings did last year and just let it ride. Let's have fun. The vibes are good. Let's see how this team goes. Or do you think it's like the opposite? We're like, we see the potential, but they are a defensive piece away or they're like a again a pascal siakam or og ananobio because both those guys would fit perfectly on this team are and there's a bunch of guys that could probably add to it do you think it's time to be like all right we see what howley can do and then we know what this team has available to him do we make that move because i think like a guy like buddy healed is off the table now because he fits so well with halliburton and halliburton has accelerated his development so much that the Pacers probably are like we'll trade a couple of these young guys but a guy who can help us win now and buddy healed alongside howley we're just not moving so do you think they kind of buy into that win-now window with Tyrese Halliburton, or do they just let it ride? What do you think? Well, the Pacers, obviously, I think there was a report that came recently that they have interest in Siakam. So I think they might – if it's not Siakam, I think they're still going to make a move. I think that they see an opportunity to actually start building something here and start winning games, and I think they might they might go for it. If, if 
there's one team I think Siakam might get traded to. I would say the Pacers. Like that's where I put my money. I think they got the depth to do it. I, like I, I don't see really a reason why they should just be like, yeah, let's ride it out because yeah, they're they're good. But if you get a chance to upgrade, if someone like Siakam is available at the deadline, like you just have to take it because he instantly upgrades their offense tremendously, and he has a little bit of defensive juice. And everyone's like, oh, Siakam's not the greatest defender. He 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 holds his own out there, and he probably better would than be what like, they got right now. Yeah, he would be like a top two <laughs> defender on that team. I, I could see them making a pick and I would I would want them to. Like they should in a year really in the East where not what are the clear cut contenders? Boston, the Bucks, and Philly? And then that's yeah. kinda it. But they have all been proven that they can be beatable at this point. Like we've seen it happen. And when the Orlando Magic is three, no no slight to the Orlando Magic. We like the Orlando Magic on this podcast, but there's clearly some juice out there and there's like you can see it happening. That this might not be as straightforward as we thought that this season would be. And if there's someone that's out there for the Pacers to take advantage of and just bolster their team completely, I would do it. I wouldn't hold on. What about you, Zolfi? What would you do? I don't, I'm the, the thing that like makes me hesitant is that they've built this whole like team currently through patience. They didn't move a Miles Turner and Buddy Heald when they had the opportunity last season because I guess they clearly saw they could work with this team. They haven't moved Miles could, Turner at period forever. <laughs> yeah, like, they just haven't moved Miles Turner forever. And like you said, it's paying dividends. Oh my God, if I could redraft my centers, I would pick Miles Turner over Jakob Pertl in a heartbeat. My goodness. But I don't even want to go into that. But I think since they built it through so much patience, they've developed some of these young guys and they have a, a stock of young players out that we don't even see. There's Jairus Walker. There's like Neesmith is finally having an opportunity. Nemhard's been in and out. We didn't even talk about Benedict Matherin, who last season was in contention for rookie of the year at one point. Like they have so many young players that they've kind of built through with a patient plan. I don't know. It's always so risky to kind of like cut that and start the win now window, but it it's so enticing as well. I think the Pacers, if you get like closer to the trade deadline and you're middle of the pack, like say you're like the four or five seed, I think then you just say, screw it. Let's do it. We've been a mediocre team for so long. Halliburton is showing he's reached that next level then let's do it. But if they're like kind of more play in window, then I would be a bit more patient with it because there's going to be more players out there available. The market's not going to be that like heavy full of names too. So you might have to overpay for one of these guys where that's probably not what the Pacers want to do. So I think it'll depend on what their ceiling is like looking like closer towards the deadline. But that's just me being a guy who likes the idea of being patient with your rebuild because we've seen it pay off for Orlando. We've seen it pay off for OKC. We've seen it paying off for the Pacers right now. So you just don't want to risk ruining that. But you guys are both totally right that Siakam would absolutely accelerate this team. It's just depends what are you giving up. Yeah. I, I Before we quickly move on to the Lakers, I want to mention some of the stuff I've been seeing online about, oh, everyone's revisiting back the trade. Halliburton getting traded away from for Sabonis. And I just... Oh, they're they're losers. Why? I, I don't really understand why we have to be living in this world where there's winners and losers of everything. And there could just be winners for both sides because clearly it has worked to advance both of the players' games and the fit has worked well for both guys. So I don't really see any reason to be like, oh, the Kings, why, why did they do that? They traded the wrong guy away. Who knows if De'Aaron yeah. Fox even would it have been good on the Pacers? Like there's a fit. There's scheming. It happens for every single different player. Like to have this type of conversation is just dumb to me. It's stupid. Like hindsight's twenty twenty. And when they made that trade, who in the hell would have traded Deer and Fox away over Halliburton? They just got Halliburton. He's he looked decent. He looked maybe as good as Keegan Murray looked as like young guys. So like, why would anyone have picked him over Deer and Fox at the time? No one would have. So I think it's stupid to say after somebody's broken out that like, oh. We, you guys should have seen this coming. That's not how development works. Also, the only real losers here are the Knicks. They could have drafted Halliburton. They could have drafted Shea Gilgis Alexander, and they they didn't both times. And now they they're still looking for a superstar on the team. So next year, the real losers. You don't count Julius Randle the superstar. Do you? <laughs> no. There you go. <laughs> no, see, now you play the Uno reverse card on me. You got me. <laughs> uh, the Bucks phased out of the tournament against the Pacers. We saw Damian Lillard looking so happy, walking up to that trophy, staring at it, and they're like, don't touch it. And then he put his hands on it. And what did he continue to do? Oh, he just put up a really, really poor first half against the Pacers and didn't get his first shot until a little bit under five minutes remaining in the third. The Bucks 
how we've seen this all year have been either really, really good or they've been extremely painfully mediocre to watch and look like molasses when they're walking and ruining, ruining their defense out there. Uh, kind of similar to the Celtics. Is there cause to be concerned with the Bucks and the way that they were flamed out of this tournament? Or is it kind of just the same thing? You just ride the momentum, see what happens. And where do, we go? where do they go from here? They can't play defense. I think that's really the only thing I have to say. So I'm just going to leave it there. They just can't. They can't. They haven't proved to me for some reason that they can play defense, which is weird because every other year they've been such like a defensive powerhouse. So I don't get it, but I, there's been enough of a sample size that I don't, I just don't trust their defense at all. Yeah, like if you, if the question is, are you concerned about the Bucks more than the Celtics? Then an absolute yes, because they've been healthier for the most part, as far as I know. And to to Spencer's point, defensively they've been awful. They just need to be mediocre. But also offensively, they've been a question. They just have questions on both sides. Offensively, they haven't been able to get into a groove. But Damian Lillard said it too, like, "Hey, we're fifteen and seven, and we still are figuring it out," which is a testament to how talented this team is that they're still winning games while figuring it out. But their offense hasn't hit a groove. Yesterday, they made more threes than the uh, Pacers did. They were generally a relatively efficient team. They shot forty-four or forty-five percent, and they still lost because defensively they couldn't keep it together. Like the Pacers who rely on their high offense, rely on scoring like threes and everything like that, weren't making many. They were seven of 33 and the Pacers still won because they were just finding ways to get inside and score the ball. And for some reason, this Bucks defense that was elite just isn't able to be elite anymore. And that has to go on to coaching. I really don't know what else it could be. Like, they're, they're putting Brooke Lopez back in the drop coverage. That was their solution because Brooke is more comfortable playing that. But playing that against Tyrese Halliburton, who can shoot from downtown like it's nothing, is kind of stupid. And you saw that yesterday. Uh, it didn't really work. So this Bucks team has just lost its identity defensively, and no one really knows why. So the offensive side, sure, they don't look great offensively. They'll figure it out. Eventually, the pick and roll with Giannis and Dame will work. They'll start making more shots. Malik Beasley has been kind of fantastic for them for the most part, to be honest. So that part, I'm not as concerned. But so with Spencer, like the defense is more of a concern and the concern that I don't really know how they solve. Because really, where else do you go from here? If it's if it's an effort thing, like do you change your coach midseason? Probably not. You're 15 and 7. Why would you change your coach? So how do you figure out this defense? Because the roster is relatively the same. What changes? Their transition defense is really, really bad to watch. There's one play in that game. I forgot who did it, but it was in a cross-court pass when there was three Bucks defenders back already, and their backs were just turned. They weren't even facing, and they just got an easy bucket. Like It's just painful to watch, and it doesn't really make sense that 20 games into the season, the defense is still this bad with that many elite players on that team. I think you're right, though. Offensively, I don't think we really have too much to be concerned about. Damian Lillard is still good. Like He's not this washed point guard that everyone is saying that he is. I'm seeing people out there be like, oh, it's a terrible trade, blah, 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 this, blah, blah. No, they'll, <laughs> they'll figure it out. Giannis is putting up extremely ridiculous numbers this year, and people really aren't talking about that as much as they should be. Like, he's been having an MVP caliber season as well. He's literally sliding down people's power rankings. You can see that online. Like, he is falling down the list. He was at number three or two. I think it was ESPN's power rankings list, and he slid down, even though he was putting up, like, 30 points a game. They'll be fine. I am very concerned about this defense, and I'm not really sure where you find that fix. I think, like, uh, when you said how it, like, it just doesn't make sense, that's the biggest thing. The way they're playing defense is just there's so many questions around it. Like, if average Joes like us can, like, look and be like, why are you doing this? And it what we're saying actually makes sense, that's a problem. Because, like, Tyrese Halliburton said it yesterday, too, after the game. He's like, oh, they went into the zone, and we expected that from them. But most teams, when they put you go against you in a zone, it's pushing the ball towards the outside, forcing you to shoot, and we're going to, like, rotate and contest. He's like, but for some reason, the Bucks were, like, pushing me towards the middle and into the lane and leaving it open for me. So what if you have Tyrese Halliburton running at Brooke Lopez full speed, who do you think is going to win that most of the time? Or if you try playing that way and then you have Brooke Lopez dropping back, what do you think Tyrese Halliburton is going to do, who's a really good three-point shooter? Like, these are very common things that, for some reason, the Bucks just aren't doing properly, and we don't know why. Like, it just doesn't really make a ton of sense. Yeah, was Drew Holiday that important, do you guys think, as well? well clearly. Like, of course, it's coaching, too, but it's pretty crazy. He had to be, right? Like, there's. it feels like there is a missing piece in that starting lineup 
that is just not putting the team together. And Damian Lillard is still getting hunted like crazy on defense as well. And that that's a pretty stark difference. Yeah, you're improving your offense, but you're drastically digressing. Digressing? That's not a word. What am I thinking? Regressing. Regressing? I, I combine defense and regressing together. <laughs> Defensively <laughs> <The> reg- regressing. <laughs> there we go. So it'll be one to watch as the season continues. Let's move on to the final semifinals game of the Lakers and the Pelicans before the game. It feels like there's a lot of before the game moments with these teams that got eliminated. You had Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. They're asking, oh, what would you do with $500,000? And they just look at each other and they're giggling. Well, they don't have to worry because they got kicked straight out of the in-season tournaments in a pretty dominating fashion by the Lakers. And look, LeBron James, I picked him for a reason in my fantasy draft this year. I didn't think he was going to be playing like this, man. The guy is 39 years old, and he is the best player on the team. We've talked about at length that we thought Anthony Davis was going to have to come in and be that guy carrying the team, and LeBron would still be LeBron James, just a little bit slower and just dialing back a little bit. Nah, that's literally been the complete opposite of everything that has happened. Anthony Davis has been good. He's been very good defensively as well. But LeBron James has just been putting up ridiculous numbers. In 22 minutes, this man put up 30 points, 5 rebounds, 8 assists on 9-12 shooting, 8-8 from the line, 4-4 from 3 with just one foul. It was one of the quickest 30-point games in NBA history. And he is continuing to just do what LeBron James has done. And I am just bewildered at the sight of LeBron James. And he, he powered the, he's been powering the Lakers the last couple games. He's certainly powering the Lakers. Like Sophie said, I don't know why he's a, he's a billionaire. He doesn't need money, but he, he said he wants the $500,000. He's powering the Lakers to the finals and he looks good. Yeah, we you know, they're calling him the Curry. Literally, (laughs) shooting threes like that, though? Four or four from three? This is the LeBron James that, like, five years ago, everyone's like, oh, LeBron can't shoot threes. Now he's out here being effective from three. (laughs) Four or four is insane. Yeah, we said it, like, a couple weeks ago, how this is his best three-point shooting year since his Miami days when he was in his absolute prime. And you know that meme that's going around Twitter, like, recently of, like, uh, Lightning McQueen and I think it's Storm, whatever, the other one being, like, Storm's passing him, and he's like, move aside, old man. LeBron's doing that in reverse. LeBron is saying that to Zion Williamson. He's like, move aside, fatty. Like, that's what LeBron's saying right now, <laughs> like, to Zion. That, that's, that is what's happening. Tell me I'm wrong. Like, that's literally what it is. And, like, you heard Charles Barkley talking about Zion Williamson yesterday, and that's basically what he said. And it's insane that a 39-year-old is breezing past these young guys who should be in the prime of their career and absolutely dominating them. Like, LeBron James, we're not worthy. You're an alien. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, what he does doesn't make sense. All these numbers, like, he's doing better at this age than anyone in NBA history has done combined. Take every other 39-year-old. He's doing better than them in one season than they've all done together. It's just fully breaking the laws of, like, physics with our minds. It doesn't make any sense to the level he's in. You're right, 40% from three. It's a 39-year-old man shooting 40% from three when it was his considered his weakest part of his game. <laughs> uh, aside from you fat-shaming Zion Williamson, I do want to hey, talk I'm, about I'm not Zion. fat-shaming him. LeBron was fat-shaming him. Right, I mean, right. Okay, okay, yes. Being clear. Pelicans 12-11 and 11 on the season. They're in eighth, but Zion Williamson has not really had the same juice that he has been known for coming into the season. He's been relatively healthy most games. He's been played most of them. He's sat out for a couple for rest. But... Last night, especially, like, 13 points, two rebounds, three assists, six of eight shooting. This is not the guy that everyone saw at Duke just being in a bully. And it's strange to see that he is still kind of looking for that role in his duo tandem, especially recently. Like, it just, he hasn't really been as dominating as we all thought that he would be. Yeah, I think, I honestly think Brandon Ingram's, like, on a lot of nights, your best player. And I don't know if anyone expected that too much coming into the season. Um, I mean, we all we all talked about how great Zion is, and he he was – he still is very good. But I think his standards have just been so high after, like, the production he's put up, like, in the time he's been healthy that I think we're all a little bit surprised. But um, I don't know. Maybe he's just not as athletic as he was a few years ago. Like, it seems weird to say because he's still very young, but – 
it's possible for sure because that field goal percentage has come way down. But even like a, a night like yesterday, six of eight shooting, like he was making the he was making a lot of his baskets. It's just what's changed. Like if he's all of a sudden not as athletic, you don't expect that in year like five or six. You expect that in like year eight, nine when you're like nearing thirty or whatever. So I'm I'm confused to your point. Like you're right, Spencer. He set such a high standard for when he is healthy. But why has that standard changed? Like he's the healthiest he's actually has been in like God knows how long. He's played most of his games, like Jake said. It's just he seems like – I don't want to say he's not caring because I can't speak to that, but, like, the aggressiveness, the attitude to want to get inside and score just doesn't seem to be there as much. He was one of six from free throw line yesterday, which isn't great, but, like, that's just going to happen once in a while with him. But if you're that efficient scoring the ball inside, why aren't you demanding the ball every time? Six of eight, like, you should be asking for way more shots. And I think Chuck said it yesterday on the broadcast. Most nights, uh, he's the third best player on his team. He has two guys on his team, CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram, who are better than him. Like kind of what you just said, Spencer, and that shouldn't be the case. Like that really just should not be the case with how talented he is and how effective he can be inside. And he's had nights when he's like scoring really well, but he's not doing it routinely, which I don't see why he shouldn't. Especially last last night, if he's so effective from the field and everyone else is struggling, Brandon Ingram four thirteen, CJ McCollum four fourteen. If you're the third best player, quote unquote, and you're six of eight, demand the ball more. Like just literally push the rock in the net. I don't I don't really understand where that disconnect is coming from. And it's not like Zion like can't do it. Like, he's been doing it occasionally this season. It's just been a lot more inconsistent than what we saw. And there is a there's a clip going around on Twitter of him and Duke just watching his highlight reel and it's not the same player right now. Like not even close to the same level of domination. And I'm sure at some point maybe we'll be able to see that happen again. It just looks like that part of the game is missing right now, which sucks because Zion is literally also an alien. If you think about it, like he's the closest thing to just a physical freak in the NBA. And I want to see him dominate with that physical athleticism night in, night out, not just play the way he's been. Part of it is like scheming and coaching too. I'm curious what you guys think of like, I know it came up yesterday night where they talked about like, he's being used as a point forward a lot. They're asking him to move the ball around, play around the perimeter. And then, like, again, you see six for eight, and you're like, why? Why Why is a guy who played 26 minutes and had three assists as a point forward being given the ball to create for others? Like, I think mean, again, I keep going back to Charles Barkley. Maybe he does know what he's talking about because I keep referring to what Charles Barkley said. Uh, but he should be a play finisher, not a play starter. And I completely agree with that. Like, why is he starting these opportunities when you have a CJ McCollum who's known to be able to be a passer? Granted, you don't have many. You don't really have a true point guard other than the closest being CJ McCollum. But that doesn't mean you make Zion Williams in your point guard. Like he's way too good at, at scoring at the basket for that to be the case. So I think it's a bit of coaching and it's a bit of scheming and they might be trying to like be too cute with it. So hopefully they figure that out and they just realize that like, Hey, Zion Williamson within five feet of the basket, it's good. So let's do that. Do you guys think there's any conservativeness like on both sides, coaching and Zion, like because he's had such an injury riddled past that like, you think they're just trying to, there's some kind of just, even if it's subconscious for Zion, he just, doesn't want to overdo it and like maybe that's why it seems like he's playing more conservative or again he could just not care there was he had a tough off season with rumors and stuff we're not going to go into that but he could there could just be that disconnect as well but I'm wondering curious if you guys think that athletes in general just ever play more conservative after they go through a lot of injuries uh it's tough to say I I personally, like, I don't really think so because what I've seen from Zion is that normally he comes back from injury and he looks like a god killer. And that's kind of what I've been trained to to see from him since he's been come back from victory. But if it is on the coaches and the scheming, like, you can't do that with this Pelicans roster because the roster is basically, for all intents and pur- purposes, built to win now. Like, this is not a young roster this has a lot of older pieces. CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram's not getting any younger. JV, like these are pieces that are surrounding to try to maximize that play style that Zion Williamson has. And if they're not really fulfilling to that full potential, I don't really know what you're doing because what are you going to do? Just say, oh, well, throw this bin out. We'll do it next year. Like I, I, it doesn't really work like that. So I, I would be a little bit more concerned if that was mainly on coaching. Yeah, the la- the last thing I'll just say, I think Spencer, you do raise a good point that like, oh, that injury hesitation could play a part into it. And that very well could be true, but Jake is right. Usually, when he comes back, he goes crazy. But the the only other thing I wanted to say, we're not doing winners and losers, but you know what? 
Pelicans players, you guys are losers because Jose Alvarado was going to put this money towards his kids. And instead, he gets nothing for it because Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram were too busy thinking about whatever demon time things they were going to do with their winnings versus being wholesome like Jose Alvarado who wanted to help his kids out. So, you know what? You guys are losers. You don't want to do a prediction on what they were doing? What they were thinking? I said demon time. That's as far as I'll go. (laughs) Josh Hart's Uh, though. Yeah, Yeah, Josh Hart told him to get some ice instead, which is hilarious, by the way. Let's move to the finals. Saturday night, uh, my team is still in there. I picked the Lakers. They're still there. Dan's is still in there. That is our two picks for the wins. Let's go with everyone else, since you guys all suck at picking brackets. Spencer, who do you think is winning the in-season tournament? The NBA Cup, who's hosting it for the first time? You know what? Being underdogs has never stopped the Pacers before. Well, at least in the last two games. So I'm going with... Uh, I'm going with the Pacers. I think they're just going to have a bit more legs, um, just keep a pace up that the Lakers won't be able to match. I can definitely see LeBron taking over because uh, somehow these elimination games are just something that he lives for. So I can definitely see that, but I'm going to go with the Pacers. Um, I don't, that's not, not much reason other than I'm just going with it. Probably why I lost my bracket, but. <laughs> yeah, like this game isn't Pacers versus Lakers. It's Pacers versus LeBron. Like, that's literally what this game comes down to. It's can LeBron James carry the Lakers past this Pacers team? And honestly, I'm going to say no. And like doubting LeBron is the dumbest thing you could ever do. But my dumber mistake was not rooting in the Pacers this whole time when I should have because I've been bandwagoning them since the start of the season, since the offseason, really. And I think I don't want to go as far to say it's a blowout, but I don't think it'll be close if the Pacers can keep playing the way they've been playing and running up and down the court like crazy. The Lakers are too old. They can't keep up with that. LeBron James has defied things before, so maybe he can get this team to run up and down with the Pacers, but I just don't think they can for the most part. So I think that's going to be a big advantage for the Pacers. Tyrese Halliburton is playing out of his life right now. But I, again, LeBron scares me. At this point, how do you not like just think LeBron has a bit of a shot to do it? So I think he's going to have a big game as well, but I'm hoping Tyrese Halliburton can actually fulfill the Lightning McQueen meme where he's like driving past LeBron and being like, move aside, old man. So hopefully it's the Pacers' time, so I'm going to go with them. Well, I guess I'm alone on an island with the Lakers. Yeah, I, I'm not doubting LeBron. I, I've I've tried not to do that my entire time of living when I've watched LeBron play, and I'm not going to do it here. He's so motivated to win this thing, he wants that money. I don't know what he's going to do with it, probably buy books that he's not going to read past one page. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to pick the Lakers. They, they've been – I've enjoyed watching LeBron dominate, so I will stand alone – do we want to talk about the crowd? Because th- th- this was a, a main part of the in-season tournament was that this was going to be on Vegas and this was going to be on neutral territory. And it doesn't really seem like the crowds really care that much. Uh, is that going to change tomorrow? I hope so. Like, yeah, you hope. And I think sure, because it's a final. But like, it's really hard to like... Uh, there's no like clout to this event yet, right? Like the Super Bowl is one thing. The Super Bowl is always on a quote unquote neutral site for the most part. So like that's why people come out and you have fans from all over because it's such a spectacle. But until this becomes that, it's hard because the basketball isn't like they have the Las Vegas Aces there. So obviously that's a thing, but it's it's very different where like neutral site teams that you don't know, especially like I hate to be the small market guy argument, but like the Indiana Pacers, like how many people from Indiana are traveling to Las Vegas to watch this team and how many fans around the Las Vegas area even know the Indiana Pacers. So, like, that part of it's really hard. I think they'll have, like, a sellout crowd, but it won't be that atmosphere that you saw in Indiana for that game against uh, the Celtics where it felt like game seven of the playoffs. But give it a couple years, and I think it's going to happen because once the NBA gets a team in Vegas, which they're 1 million thousand percent going to, and you have fans routinely coming to watch NBA basketball – you have some like stake in some of these players because you're going to be seeing them more because like you've seen, Oh, I've seen Halliburton come down and play in Las Vegas for an NBA regular season game. So now I know about him. So when you play in the in-season tournament, it's going to mean something. So give it a couple of years and I think it will happen, but I don't think this year is going to be the year for the crowd to go crazy. Yeah. I, I can't say anything better than that. Spencer, you're nodding your head. I feel like you agree. Yeah. Um, I, again, I can only hope, but I'm, I'm not too sure. It's been, it's weird. It's it's a weird. It doesn't feel. I I saw Alex Wong of the Raptor Show tweeting that it felt like bubble ball, 
it's literally yeah. what it felt like. It, it was pretty, it felt very just like kind of eerie and just like strange, especially the lighting. Cause it was a lot of like no lights on the fans and it was just a lot more yeah. focus on the red court, which also, what are we doing with that? Why yeah. is it red? Why do we bring back red? Why was that the color? Literally looks like the Pistons court out there. Like, I, I don't yeah. know why. Are they trying to remind everyone of the worst team in the league? They're just like, just this could be the Pistons <laughs> one day. Uh, I don't you, know. Did you guys see, like, before the game, how they said the Lakers couldn't wear their, like, black and purple uniforms because it would supposedly clash with the court? How the hell would that have clashed with this court? Like, red and blue make purple, but purple wasn't on the court. And there's 10% purple in the Lakers uniforms. So like what what the why I I'm so confused by the NBA's decision for that. Yeah, that should, made no sense at all. They should hire you as like a colorologist for the league if they think that that I I it doesn't make any sense. I, I don't really get it. It's not like the Lakers jerseys are nice though, so I'm not going to complain. Oh, terrible, I don't have to yeah. see them. They're they're pretty ugly. But that goes down tomorrow, so we will be watching that and we will be giving you guys our reaction next week when we come back. Hopefully, we can get Dan on the podcast. That's going to wrap up this week. No winners and losers this week. We just want to focus mainly on the in-season tournament. Overall, I think it's still thumbs up from all of us. I think that this tournament has been really fun, especially this week. It's been a lot of single elimination games aren't really something that you're familiar with in the NBA unless they go to game seven all the time. So to have them, I think if they expand it, it's going to be a lot of, it'll be good in the future. Called the NBA Cup, not the in-season tournament because there's no reason for it to be called the in-season tournament. They got a winning formula. Adam Silver. Man, he, he cooks as much flack as he gets around so well. He, he, he cooks on these new ideas. So we got to give him our flowers there, but that is going to wrap up the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, you can find us everywhere that you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify as well. Follow us on X. Uh oh, I said X. It's about time I just embrace it at this point, isn't it? It's not going back to Twitter at dream underscore team pod as well on instagram at dream underscore team underscore pod go find and love our graphics that are going to put up on there and you can follow me at jake underscore schultz six as well zolfi where can they find you at zolfi underscore shake on x i guess i was about to say twitter and then you reminded me so I'll say i saw x. that heavy yeah <laughs> on x and on instagram Raptors republic is where my writing is and yeah check it out keep listening to the pod again we want more feedback more reviews for the love of god how many times have we asked you people leave us a review please spencer yeah um i actually changed my twitter name recently so, oh no my god uh, why, why are we twitter changing all of our twitter yeah. names now uh, for mine's, i have a reason i might be making a different twitter just for something else and i want to kind of use that name somewhere else so i'm just oh secret change my twitter name yeah okay um and then well it may or may not be mma related you guys know i love it so Ooh, but, um, okay yeah definitely follow the the pod on twitter because we've been making graphics if you guys are wondering what these where these um, brackets were that's where they were so go follow us and then I uh, copied Zolfi and mine's now just Spencer underscore Kloss so S-P-N-C-E-R underscore C-L-O-S-S kept it nice and simple and that's where they can find me well gonna have to change that in all the podcast information now no I already did it on Twitter oh my goodness he's already one step ahead of me look at you go Spencer alright everyone have a good in-season tournament finals we'll be back with you guys next week catch you all then thanks for listening Peace.